Hello and welcome to Cannabis for the Rest of Us. You have questions, I have questions, and we are going to explore this community together. I'm your host, Philip Rebentish, Chief Storyteller of Goddess Story Media. I'm very excited to welcome our new sponsor, Three Wells, a company that is demystifying the new world of marijuana for grown-ups. Find them online at threewells.co. Be well, live well, do well. My guest today is Brandon Allen, a professional chef who studied at the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. Throughout his culinary education, Brandon competed in numerous competitions and won the inaugural High Times Magazine Award of Top Cannabis Chef. Chef Brandon is a certified interpreter, which is best described as a sommelier of cannabis. We discuss the science of the cannabis strain name dilemma and what you know about indica and sativa may be completely wrong. You have a pretty unique path to becoming a professional chef. Um, and in part, that's in part involved because your girlfriend uh, is a professional traveling nurse. Tell me that story of how that played a role um, in your culinary education. So my culinary education was already on its way when I first met Megan. She was a nurse at uh, UPMC, which is the University Hospital in Pittsburgh, and I was at the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. And while I was in school, we met just a few months into it, actually, and it was only an 18-month culinary program. And throughout the entire time, I was, you know, doing some apprenticeship work. I was doing my normal culinary education. I was working part-time. So in the sense of uh, how she was involved early on, she was just incredibly supportive of, you know, dating a 28-year-old college student uh, <laughs> that was a little bit different, especially considering, you know, she was in a, a different level of a profession of what I was going into. Um, but I supported her with a lot of really good tasty food all the time. So there is that. I'd say that uh, that's a good sign yeah, of the definitely. equation. Yep. That it was, it was a, a nice little bounce there. But uh, towards the end of my culinary education is when a friend of hers uh, ended up signing up with a traveling nursing agency and posted all over Facebook and Instagram. And she's going right. to move to, I don't even know where, I think it was California somewhere actually. And we were in Pittsburgh at that time. So that seemed pretty attractive. And I was at the point where, you know, I had moved around so many times previously that uh, in Pittsburgh, considering it wasn't necessarily home to me, uh, even though Pittsburgh still has a little place in my heart, just make that clear, uh, that I was okay with traveling and seeing more of the country. So um, we ended up basically making the decision for her to sign up with a traveling nursing agency and see where we would end up. And so when I finished up school, I actually had an interview at the Food Network Kitchen in New York City two days after I graduated. And this was like a couple months in the works here to, to be able to get this interview and everything. You know, I knew someone who knew someone who linked me up. And uh, so Megan ended up getting her traveling nursing license for New York, Florida, Denver, and was attempting to get it for California as well. And so we had these various options. It was based off of kind of what was going to happen with me. So she was incredibly supportive there as well as to who knows where we're going to end up going. Um, and the long story of the interview is I drove all the way out there and found out that the person never even read my resume. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. 
Um, and by drove, I actually took a mega bus to get out there. So it was like, <laughs> you know, so I went through all of that and I, I, I'm telling you, like, I was shocked. My jaw was dropped when I was asked some of the questions I was and then told, well, oh, well, in order to come in here, you need X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, it's obvious that I only have A, B, and C, you know? Right, uh, so right. I got out of the interview and I, and, and instead of being disappointed, I actually called her immediately and I said, guess what? We're moving to Denver. And she said, okay. So that was kind of the, the start of our travels together. And we moved to Denver for six months. And then we moved to Austin, LA, and San Diego. And throughout the whole time in the sense of how, you know, she influenced my, my culinary world or my education or my cooking is it's basically her work and her education and her being a nurse mm -hmm. and the opportunities that her life was able to open up for me that allowed me to experience food throughout the country. It allowed me to uh, experience different ingredients. Um, it also put me in the position to actually be able to move to California and even entertain the idea of using cannabis legally, let alone to actually cook with it. So there are, it's not so much that let's say that she uh, had an influence in the sense of my style of cooking or mm -hmm. my, um, my passion to get into culinary because that started well before I met her, mm -hmm. but she is the reason that I've had the opportunities that I've had. Well, and it seems to me those cities that you were living in have very distinct culinary cultures. It's not like you were moving around the Southwest and were experimenting with different versions of exactly, Southwest yeah. or barbecue. Exactly. Right? I mean, from Pittsburgh to Denver, there's a huge change in the food scene. But from, A little bit. But mainly going down into Austin was just one of the most delicious seven months of my life. Um, the barbecue and <laughs> right? and specifically Salt Lick, the barbecue joint, If you, they have the giant I know of it, pit. and it's fine to give everybody a shout out. Yes. And then also <laughs> Torchy's Tacos, which was a quarter mile away from us, and I frequented there, uh, or I was there frequently. Um, and just food everywhere was fantastic. But then, you know, we get to LA and you know it's a just an just a mix of everything you could possibly imagine but I don't think we explored the food scene there as much as we should have but when we got to San Diego here uh, this is just another melting pot but the the Latin cuisine influence and the Asian cuisine influence like mm -hmm. actually are one of our favorite places here um, believe it or not one is a barbecue joint which I think stacks up with some of them in Texas uh, called Iron Pig in Pacific Beach and then King and Queen Cantina which is a Mexican-Korean infusion that is just absolutely amazing. So yeah, we, she's given me the opportunity to taste around the country, which has been awesome. <laughs> I love that. So when you were in cooking school, when, when I talked to you about this uh, before the interview, you had mentioned that you had, um, shall we say, a, a unique training style for educating yourself. And I love this story. Can you, sh can you share it with us? Yeah, so when I'm first made the decision to go to culinary school, I was, I think, 27 years old. And I was, at that point, I was running a little pizza sandwich shop, uh, cafe with my stepfather and my mom in State College, Pennsylvania. And, you know, I had never gone to school before. Uh, I, you know, I went to high school, but I actually finished my uh, senior year over the internet. So, and I didn't do, you know, the, I went against the grain. I, I didn't go to school right out of college and the, the whole night. So I was very nervous about pursuing school not just in the sense of shaking up my life, but also in the sense of the debt that would come along with it. So 
I applied to a couple of different culinary schools. I was accepted to, to NECI, to the CIA, and then the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. And the reason that I was really pulled towards the Art Institute is they had various scholarship opportunities. So one of them was a cooking competition. And I was in that cooking competition, and I ended up winning a $10,000 scholarship. Wow. Yeah, which helped. And then yeah. from there, I was told that day of the competition, hey, there's another scholarship you should look for, which is where you basically design a business plan and a restaurant and a menu. And I ended up not only just winning the culinary division of that, but I won best in show of all the different arts of the school. So I got another $20,000. Score? So, yeah. So that between my like first time student grants and all those other things you get from the state in Pennsylvania, I ended up basically almost getting a full ride for school. And I was also able to have some stipend money left over so I didn't have to work full time, which is like a gift. That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Because any, then, any student exactly. understands how, so, how so incredible that I, is. And the reason I explain that first is because it's important to know that, no, I was not working in a restaurant for 70 hours a week while going to school for 20 to 30 hours a week or more and doing homework and all those things like some of my fellow classmates were doing. Right. So because I had the luxury, now granted I did earn it, I mean I fought for it with those scholarships and I put a lot of work into it, but I had the luxury of having more time while I was in school, which was like amazing to have. Uh, and so when I started my culinary education, it was like the second week of, of skills class and the chef instructor said, hey, would you mind staying after class and want you to help me with something? I said, sure. And after class, everyone got out of the room and he hands me a red, a green, and a yellow bell pepper. And this is Chef Sean Culp. And he says, I want you to do this cut. It's called a paisan pepper. And basically it's filleting out the flesh of the pepper. So you're just left with about 16th of an inch of the skin. And then you cut oh, these wow. into strips and then you cut them into triangles or squares or uh, very, very small rectangles or super, super small squares, whatever you want. And it's a decorative. I was going to say, it yeah. sounds like it's more it's, of a decorative as opposed yeah. to flavor. And exactly. I mean, the flavor's there depending on what you do with it, but ultimately it's for decoration. And the chef, Chef Culp, at that time and still is on the Olympic culinary team. Yes, that's the thing. He's got the rings on his chef's jacket. <laughs> and most other countries that compete in this, their chefs are looked at as, you know, uh, Michael Phelps, so to speak. Okay, you know, right? it's just an oddball thing the U.S. doesn't, you know, really celebrate it the way other countries do. But food is huge. And so that was opening up the door for me to basically start learning from Chef Culp. So I would come into class early. I would stay late. I would come in on the weekends and I would help him create and then practice preparing these dishes for the Olympic culinary team practices that he would go to in Chicago as well as the competitions. So while I was getting my culinary education, my associates, I was also getting like, I call it almost like a master's degree worth of education in culinary because I got basically a one-on-one -on -one training with an Olympic culinary chef who a year after, actually it was a couple months after I actually finished school and graduated that he got certified as a master chef. And he's only a few years older than me. At that point, he was 33 to 35-ish, I'd say. Okay. So he And he then got promoted as the director of culinary at the school. And he's young. He's got kids and a wife. And he's doing all of the, the normal full-time work at the school. And then he's doing all of these uh, competitions throughout the world. And I got to learn from him. So when I say I had a unique opportunity, it was definitely a unique opportunity. Uh, and I'm incredibly grateful that I was able to do that because it put me into this incredibly meticulous 
mindset with cooking and gave me an ultimately much more respect for uh, technique and ingredients as a whole. So whenever I'm either cooking at home or in any other competition, I did a few while I was in school as well, uh, my mind is in this clean, neat, tight, professional, mise en place, which means everything in its place, organized way to be able to prepare something as simple as, you know, braising some chicken for some tacos here at home, all the way to <laughs> doing, you know, like the High Times competition, the Top Cannabis Chef. Uh, right, which leads me, because that's what I want to talk to you about, is you entered this contest sponsored by High Times Magazine. Yep. High and, Times and Magical Butter. Okay. Yeah. But you hadn't had any experience of cooking with cannabis. Not at all. So well, how had, did that come yeah, about? So, okay. <laughs> it it kind of all starts with when we moved to California. We moved to California on a Friday. On that Monday, I had my med card. I have severe back issues and joint issues, which we can talk about later if you'd like to, but uh, pain is something I'm quite familiar with. And I started consuming basically microdosing edibles and I felt a lot better. And then I realized that the majority of the edibles on the shelf are absolute garbage. And I mean that because the ingredients in them there's nothing medicinal about sugar and food coloring number whatever right. and all the these emulsifying things and you know various preservatives and it, to me I just was like wait a minute this does not fit into you know I do a low carb ketogenic diet and all these sugary ingredients I was like I don't want this so I wanted to learn how to start cooking with cannabis so I could basically control the ingredients that I was consuming with this so-called medicine you know cuz right. again you know if you add um, if you add a toxin to a medicine, it's no longer a medicine. So well, that was my perspective. And I know that yeah. some people are probably like feathers are ruffled right now when I say that, but it's just, it is what it is. You know, you, you can't consume something that's bad with something that's good and say that you're getting all the positive benefits only, you know? So anyway, so I wanted to cook my own food mm -hmm. and I started cooking with it. And then I decided um, it was March of 17 that I was going to start posting cannabis-related cooking and educational things on Instagram. So that was on March 5th of last year. A couple weeks later, someone from Massachusetts tagged me in the High Times Top Cannabis Chef competition. Now, I wasn't even following High Times yet, <laughs> or okay. like, because right. I was new to the industry, and you know, I was just like, I had my my nose buried in like science books about the plant at that time, not so much like, you know, events and cultural things. Uh, and I ended up uh, applying for the competition and Magical Butter was the one who sponsored it and they were the ones selecting the chefs. And about five days before the competition, I get an email that says, hey, you're one of the eight chefs that got selected. So my experience with cooking with cannabis at that point was just at home. That's it. Okay. Strictly personal, nothing professional whatsoever. And uh, so I show up to this competition and I was told that I was the only one there that wasn't in the industry. I was the only one that was there that had no edible line or that wasn't already actively doing like cannabis pop-ups and dinners and things like that. So, so uh, no pun intended, the green guy. I was the green guy. I was the greenest <laughs> green guy for sure, yeah. And yeah, pun intended there for yeah, sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, but I ended up, Winning. So uh, there was uh, th there was eight chefs. So there, I ended up competing in three different rounds. They were 30 minutes long and it was a mystery cuisine. So we had the pantry ingredients that we could see. We could see what we were working with. Mm -hmm. But then they would pull out of a hat one of 11 different styles of cuisine, anywhere from Jamaican to French, Italian. Um, uh, there was... Uh, 
you know, Hawaiian was on there, Vietnamese, Indian, the whole list. Now, were you given any type of preconditions that, hey, we might throw this at you, or was this totally cold? It, it was It was basically, they gave us a list of 11 world cuisines and said, you're going to get one of these. Okay. And cook. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we were uh, allowed to see the ingredients, the pantry ingredients before, and we were allowed to bring three ingredients of our own. And, uh, or we were allowed to bring ingredients, but only use three of them. I guess that's the way. Okay. So right. I ended up doing like, uh, I did a garam masala. I made a spice rub the night before. And I also made a, uh, like a jerk, like a Jamaican jerk. Okay. And then I brought fresh cannabis fan leaves and also my own organic first cold press extra virgin olive oil that I knew how it would react to various temperatures. Right. Uh, so your secret sauce. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it was just like, you know, it's a really good olive oil, but also at a really hot pan, I knew that this olive oil wouldn't start smoking. So, um, but I made it work and I won the competition. So that was awesome because, you know, it's a, hey, dear diary, Remember when no one told me when I was 14 years old that I had the opportunity to be a professional cannabis chef and have the title as first ever High Times Top Cannabis Chef? Yeah. So since then is when I genuinely, I feel like, okay, I, I've, I've learned enough. I've researched enough about food. I, I know a lot about different cuisines. I respect these ingredients and I can not only create an amazing plate in a competition setting or in you know my home, but I can do these small scale and large scale <laughs> dinners without fucking it up. <laughs> and, right. and so that was like, okay, so I, what, what's interesting is, you know, so through winning this high times competition um, and then, you know, doing that event for them and these pop-ups that I've done and marketing and everything on my own, um, it, that has what's developed the confidence in me owning mm-hmm. who I am as a cannabis chef. Oh, I love that. And I know um, education is obviously really important to you. It's, it's, I, I hear this thread as we're talking today, the, the science of it, the education of, yeah. of learning about it. And, you know, the wine culture has a sommelier, yep. right? Um, is there something developing on the marijuana and cannabis side of things to raise that that level of expertise. Yes, and I'm actually a part of that right now, which is really exciting. So anyway, so I started this self-study. And that self-study then transitioned to me wanting to know also more about flower quality. Because you all, I, as a chef, I, I can know that I know the difference between good cilantro and bad cilantro, or an underripe tomato and a beautiful Jersey tomato that's Mm, super juicy. I'm from mm-hmm. Jersey, so you know, um, or a hard peach and a super soft peach. I right. know these uh, a marbled steak and a steak that needs a lot more fat than what it should for the cut that right. it is. Okay, so um, I knew nothing about flower quality, so I started doing some research, and I got along with my science side, and I stumbled across the Tricom Institute out of Denver, Colorado, and they have a course on interpening, I N T E R P E N I N G. So it is. Think terpenes, okay. interpreting. So it's interpreting terpenes. Now, what is a terpene? Terpenes are essentially the aromatics that are within the essential oils of all plants. They provide not just the aromatics, but they aid as defense mechanisms against uh, herbivores and insects, mm-hmm. as well as environmental stressors. Okay, so terpenes, there's over 20,000 different terpenes or more characterized in the plant kingdom. Okay. Cannabis just so happens to have, you know, in any given chemovar around 200 different terpenes that you can find, of which there's going to be about maybe a dozen to 20 dominant terpenes that you'll smell. So when you smell lavender, you are smelling linalool, which is the dominant terpene within that essential oil. So basically, 
what the interpreting program is, is it's considered to be the sommelier of cannabis. And interpreting provides you and empowers you with the knowledge to be able to not just determine flower quality, mm-hmm. but also to be able to predict the possible psychotropic effects. So it's was originally founded and created by Max Montrose for this whole entire purpose of a solution to the strain name dilemma. Okay. Okay. If let's say you're a grower and you created, let's give it a name of Sriracha Hot, because that's what's on my coffee cup here. You created okay. the Sriracha Hot and you're going to call it an Indica. All right. So okay. Sriracha right. Hot Indica. Now you take your outdoor organic biodynamic mm-hmm. uh, sun grown flower and you have this domesticated hybrid mm-hmm. that you've been growing for years and which is known as an heirloom or a land race at this point because okay. it is for consistent that, for yeah, that strain for that strain it's consistent right. based off of the appellation of where uh, your region is also the terroir of your unique farm or your the subregion of it and even the typicity which is like the super unique traditional characteristics of uh, say what normally associated with wine, but you have right. Isn't all terroir these things, a French word yeah, for all region? these things are related to wine because okay. there's a lot of carryovers here. Just like we say it's a cannabis sommelier, which eventually we'll stop saying. We'll just say interpreter because hopefully it'll be well okay. known enough. And that um, like because I've, I've seen out there connoisseur or connoisseur. Yeah, exactly. Which is again, it's something where you can just call yourself that. <laughs> Interpreting at least you got to take a course and a test to pass it and prove that you have some baseline education. Right. Okay. Well, it's a registered so, trademark, isn't yes, it? I mean, absolutely. this is like this it's, is like an official yep. program put together exactly. by the Tricome Institute. 100%. Uh, so so basically your your outdoor sun-grown, biodynamic, organically grown, you can't say USDA organic cuz it's not regulated by them, but organically grown flour that you have on a consistent basis that has a very uh, from harvest to harvest, consistent lab tests, and your genetics are there, but it's the lab tests are also mirroring the genetics. It's consistent. Mm-hmm. It, right. it, it, it slowly evolves, and, and you know, because cannabis is so morphological, that it will adapt to changes within your climate and your microclimate and your region of you know, harvest to harvest. But overall, year to year, you have a consistent chemovar. Now, you take a clone or a seed of your created domesticated hybrid, your land race, your heirloom, Mm -hmm. your consistent flower, and now you give that clone and someone grows it indoors under artificial lighting in without organic nutrients Mm -hmm. or fertilizers, Mm -hmm. and not that I'm dismissing any of that because there's supply and demand and we need indoor, but what's going to happen is because cannabis is so morphological, now... Your flower, your sriracha hot indica Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is no longer a sriracha hot indica because the cannabis plant is going to adapt to its new environment, which is going to affect the phytonutrient profile, the cannabinoids and the terpenes that are found in there. So it's no longer sriracha hot. It's something different. So that is the strain name dilemma. And what interpreting does is it provides you a solution to this. And it's a guide. This is not 100% exact science. But the way interpreting works, it's pretty freaking spot on. So it gives you the ability to, like I said before, identify quality. So what we do is we inspect the flower. We look at the structure. We use a jeweler's loop or a scope to be able to look at the trichome health. Determine are the trichomes uh, premature? Are they ripe? Are they overripe? 
Are they intact? Uh, all the capitate stalk heads missing? Uh, do we have a majority of, of non-glandular trichomes that are making it look frosty, even though that they don't contain cannabinoids and terpenes like the glandular do? Is the oh. density there? So we look at all of these things. All so right. first it's looking at the phenotype to determine where it falls in the spectrum of broadleaf marijuana to narrowleaf marijuana. Broadleaf indicating more uh, sedative effects, narrow leaf indicating more stimulating euphoric, and which then, is that's traditionally described in when you re, when you're reading about cannabis, those are the two descriptions. Yes, the main yeah. ones. So then, what we do is we utilize the terpene profile and determine one if they're actually pungent. Are they there? Mm-hmm. Is it fresh mm-hmm. flower? Is it been cured properly and everything? Uh, and then, based off of when smelling the flower, and there's several different techniques of how to smell. So this is what interpreting gives you. That's one of the biggest things. What we know as indica and what we know as sativa are totally incorrect. They've been incorrect for a couple hundred years at this point, but it was the 70s when things really just got difficult. (laughs) Well, you had the rise of of marijuana press. I mean, high times, and I'm sure there were some other publications. So interpreting is a guide. It is a combination of science and theory. And if you come to one of the interpreting courses and you learn the methodologies and then you start noticing how you smell flower and where it hits you on your nose and you look at these physical structures and you pay attention to the majority of the effects that they pr- provoke, it's pretty spot on. It's, it's quite interesting. Um, so, I mean, it's the same thing with wine. Just because someone swirls some wine around, looks at the legs, smells it, takes a sip, swishes it around, spits it out, and tells you, this is that, like, does that really change how, like, is, does that matter? It's about right. the personal individual experience. Still going to make exactly. you drunk either way, but what's interesting about cannabis is cannabis can make you high, but that type of high is depending on those terpenes right. and other present cannabinoids, but mainly on the terpenes. So that's all the things that we, we get into. We get into the speciation issues, the strain name dilemma. We talk about the effects. We talk about identifying quality, which above all, even if the effects don't matter, quality, safety. Is it safe to consume? Is it safe to inhale? That's really important. Right. Absolutely. Know? All it's, those things are incredibly important. It's critical. Uh, well, Brandon, this has been fascinating. Um, thank you for educating me today and Absolutely. our audience. Now, how can people find you online? I go by at Chef Brandon Allen. Keep it simple uh, on spell, Instagram. Go ahead and spell it yeah. out. C-H-E-F-B-R-A-N-D-O-N-A-L-L-E-N. Instagram is where I do the majority of my content. And I just recently started this uh, mini educational series where I'm doing one minute long cannabis education videos daily. Um, so you can check that out on Instagram. They're also on YouTube. If you just type in Chef Brandon Allen on YouTube, I'll pop up. And I have much longer geek out science talk <laughs> sessions on my YouTube channel because I can do more than a minute. Um, also, I'm on Patreon. So patreon.com slash Chef Brandon Allen. And you know, it's anywhere from a dollar to $4 a month to, to subscribe. And that's just as a you know way to help me out. I think I only have like twenty seven bucks coming in a month right now, <laughs> but you know it's a start, and it is a you know start. I appreciate people's support. Uh, fortunately, I'm I, I am employed, 
you know, I, I make money, but you know, it's always nice to be able to have extra help so I can do other projects. I have a bunch of people that want me to do podcasts more often. They want mm-hmm. me to do my own vlogs, uh, you know, different things, but it's, you know, time and, and focus and all of that. And I'm doing all this with interpreting and tricone, which is a huge priority because of how important it is to get this educational message out there. Sure, sure. Um, but you know, also follow me on there to know when I'm next I'm doing my next pop-up dinner. I'm okay. really busy with the interpreting development. I haven't done one in a while, but I'm eager to. I'm actually thinking about doing one and only inviting uh, current or soon-to-be cannabis chefs to basically spend the day with me learning. That's cool. So that might be something I'm going to right. work on soon. But well, yeah, keep me chef, posted on that. Absolutely. We'll do. That's great. Well, I feel much more educated. <laughs> so thank you. This has been great. And um, I wish you the best of luck. This is amazing. Excellent. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Brandon. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Cannabis for the Rest of Us. Please subscribe and help us grow. Check out our show notes for more information about this podcast, Gotta Story Media, and our sponsor, Three Wells. You can find us at gotastory.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-S-T-O-R-Y dot com.